So, my name is Stephanie, and to qualify, I first walked into these rooms in the mid-80s. That was a long time ago. I, I am a compulsive overeater, recovered bulimic, anorexic, obsessive dieter, laxative abuser, orthorexic, a lot of things. I really um, belong in this seat, and during the course of my talk, you will truly understand um, that I'm one of you. So I grew up in, in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, under the poverty line. I was the youngest of three girls. My mother had us all before she was, she had me when she was 20, and I'm the youngest. So she didn't have a lot of great parenting skills. What she did have was a lot of books. And so I grew up, instead of having a lot of food or a lot of structure, we just had a lot of books. And I became aware at a very young age that the only way and the only time that I could ever have my own voice was at the dinner table. And here's what that looked like. At, at dinner, my mother was a horrible cook. I'm not even joking. She couldn't cook. It was like canned beets, like half done chicken, like she just thought, okay, put something on the table, get it over, move on. She was black, so I didn't even understand any of that. Like, like so all the fantasies about good cooking was not in my house. She, um, she did the best she could, and I refused to eat dinner. I just refused, and every day I was like a new game I could play. I could shove it under the radiator, I could shove it under the, the tablecloth, but for the majority of childhood, and my sisters laugh at this, and they, they, everyone thinks it's funny, I fell asleep with my food in my plate because I refused. And, you know, life went on. I grew up. She got tired of fighting with me. I either ate or I didn't eat. I ate at everybody else's house. I made friends with people whose parents could cook, mothers. <laughs> I, I learned really early that I liked good food. Um, when I was, I didn't have a father, let me rephrase it, I had a father, but he didn't choose to really show up in my life, and he was on paper everything I thought I wanted, you know, went to the best schools, had the best job, came from a good family, but I wasn't a part of his life. So I had very strong abandonment issues, um, go figure. When I was 12 years old, my uncle, who was my father figure, raped me. I say that because that was a turning point for me in how I dealt with the world and how I felt about myself. It made me feel less than damaged, abandoned, broken, and really angry. Like, I was really angry. It never happened again. I never told my mother because I thought that she would kill my uncle. I'd really be an orphan. and life would get much worse. Um, but what it did is it made me shut down and start to like do, like back away slowly. And over time, I needed something to fill that hole. And I remember in high school, just always being really hungry because my mother was involved in things that required a lot of travel she wanted to save the world, and I was at home and nobody wanted to save me. And I remembered how I felt, and 
unless I went along with her belief system, I didn't get fed. It was almost like a punishment. Oh, you're not going to go with us to do this? Oh, well, because we, we, we're going to go out to eat when we go do that. And so, again, I, you know, we lived in a lot of places. I went to 12 different schools before I graduated high school. I, by this time, I got smart. I made friends with people who ate. <laughs> and, when I, and when I was forced to go on these things with her, I remember, like, I, would, I was like a, 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 a squirrel. I would store up. I would, like, go out to lunch with three or four different, because I was one of the only kids. I'd drag a friend, and I'd go eat here with you, and two hours later, I'd go eat with you. And it was like, oh, my God, people are offering me food. So nothing big occurred until I was in my early 20s. I mean, I dieted. I dieted. I ran. I... The truth is, I never looked much different. It just like it wasn't an outside thing for me. It was an inside thing. I was truly messed up in here, and I thought that if you really knew who I was and how damaged I was and how messed up I was, like my number would be up, the gig would be up. You would judge me. You you would say to me out loud what I said to myself in my head, and what I ran from, and I started all these diets in my late teens and. I can name them all, but you all know the names. And then I fell in love, and that was going to fix me. It was just going to fix me. It was going to fix. I was finally going to get that thing. And this person had that thing. He had the thing. He had the parents. He had. The, it was like a big thing, and it didn't work. And I, I and I wanted to kill myself. So I found myself at Bellevue. For those of you who are in New York. And um, they wanted to keep me because I had tried to kill myself, and they didn't. I talked them out of it because I was like charming, and my father came and rescued me. But that even that was messed up, and that's when I really started to realize I had two modes: I could either be happy, or I was going to kill myself. I did not grow up in an environment where I could be in the middle. Like like I remember being a child and being sad and being yelled at. Because that was, like, I wasn't paying bills. I, like, I didn't, I didn't know that you could be a child and have other emotions and that they were going to be okay. So after this breakup, I, mo I moved to L.A. because L.A. was going to fix me. And immediately, like, the, the binging that I was doing to shove down the feelings, the eating five times a day, the making friends who fed me, like, that never ended. I had, like, more friends than you know. Because some of them, like, either they cooked or they had money or they, like, it, like, a lot of my friendships were based on food or, like, the instructor at the gym because I was in the front row because I was there four or five hours a day. And I would eat, throw up, eat, throw, like, that would happen for about five or six times. Then I would run from Hollywood Boulevard and Laurel Canyon to the gym on Beverly and Sweetser. Then I would work out like a crazy person. Then I would run home, stop at the mini mart on the on, on sunset on the way home with my stuff, go home and binge, and then it would start over. And this was a normal day. And then I discovered it, my problem was LA, so I moved. I moved to New York. I moved back home. And my sister, at the time, I was helping with my niece, and my niece told my sister, she, I can hear her throwing up every day. So when my sister said, I'm worried, I, I, you know, she's saying you throw up every day, I said, well, it's because I was raped. Because selling the rape was so much better than trying to 
explain bulimia, which I was not in any way ready to give up because I can handle this. And I remember I like was on the bus. I found this guinea pig program. They said they could fix me. I was like, yay. I went in. They kept staring at me because I was like the only black person. And, and, and so um, about a year and a half later, I was back in L.A. I saw some program. I came to my first OA meeting. I did what everybody does. I sat in the back. I judged. And I was also like, I'm from like an inner city black family. You do not tell your business to white people or you get your, or you get your card revoked. You know, and, and the whole like first step, you know, we, you know, powerless, powerless equaled weak. And the whole thing about being a strong black woman and the weak, like, I was so confused. I was like, there's no, no, like, like, I'm a badass. I do not, I'm not going to admit I'm powerless. And the God thing, like, that, like, I grew up an atheist, like, that made no sense to me. Like, I was told God was for weak people. Again, the weak thing, like, the step and the weak, like, but I kept coming back. It was like this Monday night meeting on, on Santa Monica Boulevard. And I went every, I went religiously. And then I, like, then I moved to, like, London and Vermont. Like, you know, I was a geographic kind of person. I'd get close to a feeling, and the feeling had to move. (laughs) And, and, and I wish, I wish it worked. Like, I, like, I had this down in my head. It's not me. It's him. It's the job. It's, it's the people. It's the fact that I'm not driving the fancy car. Like, it's something. It was something. And I just had so much pain and so much shame. And I, if it wasn't hurting, I was okay. But the moment it hurt, I just, I just wanted it to stop. And that's when, you know, the bulimia and the anorexia. And I, like... There was nothing worse than failing at anorexia. Because I'd get like three days in of starving. I'd take a bite of a carrot and it was done. You know, the next thing I knew, I was at like the donut shop for two hours. Like, I, like, like, and my friends were like confused. They were like, what is wrong? Like, here's, well, here's what was great about my day. Because I'm older than, you know, not than you, but you know what I mean than a new, most newcomers is because I was black nobody assumed I had an eating disorder because I wasn't heavy nobody assumed I had a problem with food like as a matter of fact it was a fun it was a, this was a fun fact at parties boy Stephanie can just eat whatever she wants you know and people thought it was cool and I was like uh huh and I was in so much pain I was I was like dying to be found out like I wanted someone to go what is wrong with you is you know and and I did strange things with food I remember and I tell the story because it's funny and it's sad at the same time which is I found a restaurant in West Hollywood at the height of my bulimia and it had like the perfect single bathroom and and I and I and I and I was and I was broke struggling whatever I was broke and I decided like 
I was going to date for, for my meals. So I remember like one particular day, I had three lunch dates at the same restaurant. <laughs> back to back, same waiter, and I thought everything was fine. Like I had a full meal. Did, I, I don't remember any of these people. I probably never saw them again, but they fed me five or ten. Okay. okay, they fed me and I ate all this food and, and, and then I'd go up and then I'd go back to the table, freshened up, ready for that next date. <laughs> and why I did not think I was insane is beyond me. Like I just didn't. I thought I was smart. I thought I was clever. I mean, I went to a writer's colony in Vermont, ran out of money because I was binging because there was like a little store that had like fresh things. And so I decided to organize all the residents and do like dinners. But I collected the money and I did the grocery shopping and I cooked it and, and I all like delegated who would cook the meal. Like I could be like, I, like if I, if I use my powers for good, I could have, I, I was like, I was like maneuvering, no, no, let's have a dinner party tonight. Let's, let's do a sh Oh, let's, let's just do dessert tonight. Here, everyone give, like, some money. Like, I, I, like, I could have done something great in my life with this kind of energy. Um, and then, you know, finally, I just, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. It wasn't cute. I'd moved too many times. I, like, I was in, like, the depth of my despair was at a level I couldn't hide and I like threw myself on the mercy of this program and I found a sponsor and I started working those steps and that first step was the hardest like it was so painful and I had a sponsor who you know I always say this like the bulimic pick the bulimic sponsors and the anorexic the little anorexic sponsors and the compulsive readers pick the like whatever I think I had a compulsive reader sponsor I didn't get like she was like I don't mess around I just do this, you work with me, you do the steps in, in like three months, you, like, I was like, yes, you. Because she, she scared me enough. Like, like I, I knew, I'm like, yeah, she's not going to be charmed by you. And that was what I needed. I needed someone where I couldn't be like the most fabulous person in the room or the most pitiful person in the room. I, needed, I, need, I knew I needed someone who was just going to help me get better. And I went to her little apartment in West L.A. And I did those steps. And I did my fourth step. And I remember, like, it was scary. But she was like, she was in a bunch of other programs. So I, so I was like lightweight for her. She was like, oh, whatever, okay. And, and I, like, met, I made some of my closest friends. And we all did it together. I remember doing a 30 and 30. I remember calling people and going, can I just come to your house? Because I couldn't be needy. That still was not okay. Being needy didn't, like, become okay until my second marriage. So. <laughs> I'm that person. Like, I'm like, I will fight this. Um, but I just, I just want to say, like, I am absolutely not the person who walked into this room who wasn't going to get it, who was like the piece of shit the world revolved around, and who was, who was either like the best, looking at you like, you know, like when I came in, everyone was rich and white, and I was poor and black, and this was ridiculous. 
So you weren't going to be able to help me because we were so different. And now all I see is people who, who I'm so much alike. Oh, like so much alike. And, and I didn't look for that when I came in here. I wanted the thing that was going to separate me, that was going to make it impossible for me to ever get this because I was too much of something other. Like you had never heard my story. You've heard a lot of stories, but you've never heard my story. And you couldn't fix me, and I wasn't going to get abstinent. And, and I needed food, and food was my lover, my friend, my confidant. And, and, and I was incurable. This was an incurable disease. This was cancer. That was it. And, and I'd never joined anything in my life. Like the whole like 12, 13 schools, I got in, I got out. That was my thing. Like I got in, I got out. Boyfriends, I got in, I got out. Friendships I kept. I kept my friends. Like, and I have days where I literally just sit there in wonderment at the people in my life who stuck by me when they didn't even know why I was crazy. And the people I met in these rooms who, like, you know, loved me until I could love myself. Like, I hated that thing. I'm like, what does that mean? And, and now I, I know what it means. It's like... People listen to me. I cry. This was way before the whole texting, cell phone thing. So I, c- computers. So I had to call people and physically tell them what I was going to eat. And I was a compulsive liar when I came in. So I feel like I had two pieces of, che- of cheese. I'd have one, but for some reason, I had three. Like I just, I couldn't tell the exact truth because it, it, it was. I had a deep fear that if you really knew me. You would, have, you would abandon me because I was, the one, I was abandonable, made a new word, that was me. I was the one who, you know, you know, the reason I had got raped when I was young, the reason I had men being appropriate with me was because there was a sign that you guys couldn't see, but other people saw that said, you, you're not lovable, you're damaged, you're less than, and, and, and you don't deserve So I'm going to cut to today and what my life is like today. I'm married again. I love this husband. Love the other husband. We have a kid. We we can be on the phone for two hours. And my husband's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, my ex-husband. Like, you know, and we're not always talking about our kid. We just get along. Like, my life has zero drama. I mean, I was like, drama you. Oh, that's, like, that's Stephanie. She's so dramatic. Like, like. Like, I'd walk into a room and people would be like, oh. And not these rooms. <laughs> not these rooms. But they'd be like, oh, here she comes with her drama. And, like, I don't have any drama. Like, my life is so wholly uninteresting. You know, I have a kid. I have two bonus kids. All girls. They're all teenagers. And that's easy. I don't know what happened. I, they're, they're easy. Relatively. Like, I'm here to support them in growing and being who they need to be. But unlike when I was a kid, I don't want them to be like me. I'm like, nope, you follow all the rules. Good for you. Weird, but that's how it is. I mean, yesterday I had to go look for a car with my husband. The old me, like I even had like a mild panic attack. He was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't want to go. And he was like, honey, we actually have to do this. And, and I realized, I'm like, I don't want to go because I'm not going to get what I want. Like, I thought that's what occurred to me. So we go, 
to buy a car. We're not fighting. He's all calm. I'm like, I actually get exactly what I want, which was weird. And I came home and I was like, okay, what just happened? Like, like, you know, but, but there were, I didn't need to call a sponsor. I didn't need to call. I didn't, I, I didn't need to complain. I, and at a point I was like, you know what, honey, if that thing is too much, let's just get something else. Like, I genuinely got to go, oh, it's a car. It's just a car. And that's like, today, I'm an avowed foodie. I have hundreds of cookbooks. I love to cook for people I love. I love to, you know, it's food. It's just food. It doesn't have any sting to it. I, I wear the same size I wore when I came into the rooms. And, and it's not about, and it's because... If I'm eating french fries five days in a row, I need to call somebody. I need to, like, come to terms with what the hell is going on. Because it's not in the french fry. It's in, like, something else. And I deal with the something else really quickly because I spent my first 20-something years in pain. And, and, and I'm not interested. Like, I can't. I can't do it. And so my abstinence is I don't throw up no matter what. I don't take laxatives no matter what. And I don't beat myself up no matter what. I am so nice to myself. Like, like nice. And you know what that means? That when people come in my life and they're not nice to me, they don't get to have a seat. Bye-bye. Go away. Because I don't have those awful, evil voices in my head feeding me mixed messages. Or like, you know, if someone doesn't like me, I take that as information. You don't have to like me. But you don't get to be in my inner circle, and you don't, you don't get to have noise. You don't have a voice. Like, I don't think my mother genuinely likes me. So she's a little bit at a distance. But I understand that, because I don't follow her rules. And I do what helps me to live a good life, and that's this program. I don't do it perfectly, but I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for letting me share. This is time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinion of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need to identify yourself. Please remember, if you, are being, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Thank you, Tim. When you first came in, you were an atheist? Yes. When, when I first came into program, I was an atheist. I knew there was a God. When I was a kid, my mother would make us go to church to get us out of the house. She'd give us a doll and go, just go to one of those churches. But it's not, don't believe anything they say. That's a lot of crazy. <laughs> um, this is the truth. Um, but I had, you know, in my late teens, started a search for something bigger than myself. So I, although I was an atheist, I, I, was, I, was, I was God curious, you know? Um, and, and I was desperate for something, So because I, I, I had a hole in me the size of God. So I did, you know, when I came in, I heard some, this guy once say, I don't believe in God, but I believe in basketball. So 
And he started explaining what that meant. And I thought, oh, I don't even have to believe in God. But God kind of started to make sense to me. Would you describe what God would you say? Would I describe God? God is my homeboy. This is the truth. Like, like we talk all day. I'm. Since I gave up the pursuit of being perfect, God's really like in my corner about that. So I talk to God all the time. I pray. I'm a really bad meditator, but I still try. Like, I just lay there and I just, I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Like, every time I think about it, when I, I think about God a lot. So God kind of goes with me in my day. And it's available at all times. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. So that's my relationship with God. Thank you so much for your lead, Stephanie. Could you talk about how your sponsor took you through the steps and how you took through the steps? So how my sponsor took me through the steps and how I take my sponsees through their steps. I swear, I feel like every sponsor I have, sponsee I have, all five of them are in the middle of their steps, and it's been amazing. So my sponsor took me through the steps in a very, she was also in another program, in a very traditional, follow the book, answer the questions, and it went, you know, your character defects. It, it was very, I want to say old school, and... Um, Here's how I take my sponsees through the steps. I explain to them, this is the first of many, so let's get it over with. You know, it's like if you want to learn how to surf, you have to learn how to swim. So this is not going to be your perfect, hold on to this for two years. This is quick, and I mean it. And so, because my belief is you're going to have concentrated areas that come up from, a, from a, your first or your current fourth step. So when you do a fourth step, you may discover, I have all this unresolved stuff with work or with my parents. And so then you get to, we get to go back and you get to do one that's more concentrated. But you can't, get to, you can't get to the good stuff if you don't do one. So like I have a sponsee now who had, who had, who had gotten to the fourth step many times and didn't finish it, and she's a writer. So I said, let me just suggest something. Write your fourth step like you would a story. Give me your story of you. And suddenly it was like she did it. It was just done. So I try and I try and um, make my fourth step specific to the people I'm working with. You know, it could all be found in the in the big book and in the twelve and twelve. But I I, t- I will tell and make them if I find that there's like a problem. Because to me, I just, you need to get it done. Can you talk about how your relationships have changed over the years? Um, how my relationships can, have changed over the years? I don't lie. Like, no matter what. Something happened recently and someone said, oh, did you tell your husband that? And I go, yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie to him. Um, because this is who I am and I need people in my life to truly accept who I am. I'm not, I'm, I, the whole perfect thing, once that went out the window, it was like a game on. It was like I get to live and be normal. Um, so I have great relationships. I have a lot of, 
I have a lot of like amazing people in my life. I have people who make me celebrate my birthday because it's not my thing. Um, not quite against my will, but I show up and I, and I love that people want to show up for me. Um, I'm so incredibly grateful for my husband's new wife, like new a couple of years. Like I just, I'm like, she shows up for our kid in a way that I'm, I'm just blown away by. Like I feel like if I walk out in the street and something bad happens to me, I know this woman would take care of my kid. And that to me is a gift. So I, I tend to think there's a lot of love in the universe. And my relationships reflect that. I have really great boundaries. I don't do, do things I, I don't want to do. People know. They're like, oh, I'm on that TV show. I'm like, great. Congrats. That's not my kind of TV. I'm not watching it. Like, oh, you know, will, will you pick me up from the airport? No, you can use Uber. Like, like, like because I learned that if I'm honest and you're in my life, that means you can handle my level of honesty. And if I'm trying to people please you, I'm not being honest. And I'm going to have a resentment. And I tell people, like, like if someone calls me and says, you know, I didn't like when you said that. I'm like, oh, let's talk about it. I apologize. It's, I'm going to be telling the truth. It's harder to apologize to my husband than any living human being. Just because we're married. I don't know. But I do it. I do it because it's, it's easier. Um, Yes. Thank you. When you have like a self-negative thought, how long does it take to identify it? And then what do you do to get rid of it? Because you said you're nice to yourself now. When I have a negative thought about myself, how do I get rid of it? Oh, this is going to sound so terrible, but I don't really have negative thoughts about myself. I used to. I used to have them a lot, but these rooms have been so helpful because... What happened is I learned quickly, I'm not the best, I'm not the worst. And I'm just in the middle. And if I'm in the middle, it's like, like I may get annoyed that like I, I do a job and I'm not getting paid as someone else, but it doesn't make me feel bad about myself. It makes me feel annoyed about the situation. Like I'm able to, I'm able to put things in the proper context quite quickly. Um, you know, I was getting dressed this morning and my pants were a little tight and I was like, oh, my pants are tight. I guess I'll put on another pair of pants. Like it was just like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't stick to me. I, I, I have no idea why. I think I, I think I just have healthy self-esteem at this point in my life. Because I, I can't, I don't do well thinking bad about myself. I just like, it's part of my abstinence is I don't beat myself up, I don't talk bad about myself, I don't, I don't let other people talk bad about me. It's just, it's a waste of time, actually, to me. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, so, the guy who you with his mother and sort of say she did the best she could, um, you know, I, inter- I understand it intellectually, but it seems like you have to get that in your spirit in order to forgive and move on. It feels like you did that, and that sort of helps you not beat yourself up. You know how I forgave myself for, or or recovered from, like being raped by my uncle, and how I have a a good relationship with my mother today. You know, I got a lot of help. 
in addition to this program, I was in therapy. Um, I found a spiritual community, and I and I did workshops. And I, I mean, I, I I burrowed in. I did the work. I didn't just come naturally, because I like being slightly bitter about things. Like I, I just think it's you know, it was part of my personality. Um, that's not really there anymore. One of the things is when I got you know had another human being say to me, "Wow." You had some very disturbing, unhealthy people in your life. Like, that was so fascinating. Not that you attracted those people. Like, like, you weren't a grown woman dating the same, you know, abusive boyfriend. Like, you were a child who had someone in your life who took advantage of you. And once I was able to, like, see that and forgive myself for basically, like, wanting to kill myself over it, that would help, you know, it helped me. And my, with my mother, you know, she was 20 with three kids. And I, rem I remember a learning, someone saying to me, you know, she didn't, she did the best she could, but it wasn't good enough for you. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. Like, I get to have, like, I get to have a measure. I get to, and, and all of that, like, was able to help me. And over time, doing four steps, you know, making someone hear about, like, how I felt about this stuff delving into this program using my tools that that really helped me to let go of being like a victim because I'm not a victim it's like bad stuff happens here's my bad stuff I just throw it out there because I want everyone to be clear that we all have bad stuff but it's like are you going to look at it do the work and move on from it or are you going to use it as a whipping stick and I used it as a whipping stick for a very long time Thank you. If I'm correct that you still have some moments where you feel like you're spitting, uh, you know, something has gotten you upset, uh, do you have go-to people, go-to prayers, go-to rituals, or do you no longer feel even, you know, a few times a year like you're spinning? When I feel like I'm spinning, if I still feel like I'm spinning, how do I deal with it? Okay. Did I mention I have three teenage daughters and a husband? And two careers, and a dog. And I'm not really a dog person. I've become a dog person because they brought it home. Um, mention, when I mention, I'm all the time. I'm all like I'm. I'm human. So if there's an emotion, I'm having it. Maybe not all at, all at once anymore, but I have it. I'm angry. I'm hostile. I'm I'm bitter. I'm like judging. I want to gossip. Like I got all of it. But I have people I can call, third step prayer, I, I get on my knees, I, I, I have to be humbly, to humbly have this removed. I, you know, I, what I don't do is go, oh, aren't you a terrible person for having those feelings? I go, oh, I'm human again, here's, a, here's some human stuff coming. Um, I just, I tend to approach things head on. You know, I, I'll call someone and I'll be like, oh, I'm just in the worst mood. I have a best friend, not in program, lots of therapy. We speak four or five times a day. We just love talking to each other. And, and like I called the other day, I'm just really frustrated. Like, this is my life. Like, like I work really hard and, and I still didn't get all the stuff. I saw that, I, you know, that was two days ago. And, and she's like, yeah, you're right, you do. It sucks. 
But one of the things I realize is when I don't verbalize this stuff, it becomes its own monster. So I tend to verbalize it a lot. One more? Yeah. yeah. Um, was there a moment in the process that allowed you to Yes. Was there a moment in my process where I, where I was able to shift my feelings about weakness and neediness? Part of it was I, I write and I read a lot, and and one of the things I realized was I come from a culture where it's a badge of honor to be a superwoman and to do everything yourself and to not need need a husband and not to need a help with your children and to not need to talk to a therapist and I was like this does not work for me like I need the extra help I need to I need a sponsor I need to sponsor I need to go and and talk to an outside person I like I I realized that for me a lot of it was cultural and it was something that was killing my culture because you know obesity is one of the number one killers of black women and I'm a black woman so I was I, I, I start I did I'm I'm a member of an organization where I get a lot of information and I get to weigh in on a lot of, or a lot of this type of information. And, and I started to see that it just, it just didn't make sense anymore. So that really helped me to shift my mind. So. Thank you.